A dance CEO thrives every day with focus on gratitude, growth, and feeling aligned. Unapologetically putting themselves first, striving to become their best self personally and professionally, creating their own definition of fulfillment and success, rejecting the starving artist mentality and competition mindset for one of abundance in all things, including the success of other dance business owners. Welcome to the Dance CEO Podcast. Hello, I'm Audra Allen, the Dance CEO Coach, lifelong dancer, choreographer, and educator, I'm a happily remarried, part-time mom of two little humans and three bonus little humans, proud thriver of adult-diagnosed ADHD, lover of the beach, travel, houseplants, reading, and your host for today's episode. Thank you for being here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Dance CEO Podcast. Today, I have with me the lovely Kara Tattlebaum. I'm so excited she's here. We connected online, as I do with all of my guests. She is an author, she is a coach, she is a dancer, she's a dance teacher, she's a caregiver, she's so many things. And I don't wanna say it all wrong. So Kara, please tell us more about who you are. <laughs> Hi, Audra, you said it great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to talk to you. And, um, and I love following you on Instagram and mm. seeing and getting your newsletter, which I told you I absolutely love. I don't open every newsletter. I know mm. that sounds bad, but I do always read your newsletter. Um, and I well, find it really you. helpful and insightful. Um, so thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm Kara Tattlebaum. I am the author of the dance memoir, Putting My Heels Down. Um, I am a dancer, choreographer. Um, I also am a certified wellness and resilience coach. And I do um, also teach, I teach dance and I also teach Pilates. So many things. I love that. So many so, things. But this is perfect. You sound like an entrepreneur and someone who loves the arts. So you sound like my type of people. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, I'm so glad to have you here today. Okay. First of all, I want to acknowledge and celebrate that you just celebrated a little over a year ago when you, your book published. Can you tell us more about what is your book? Let's just start there. What's your book? Sure. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Uh, <laughs> my book is Putting My Heels Down, a memoir of having a dream and a day job. And it released April 29th, which is International Dance Day in 2021. So we just celebrated the first birthday. So we've been doing a lot of giveaways and I've been visiting a bunch of dance studios here in New York City, signing books, giving away bracelets. And um, the publisher made a very special limited edition first birthday book that has some special pictures and a different cover. Um, so that's um, been really fun to celebrate with. And the book is about my journey as a dancer trying to make it in New York City. Um, and uh, the pitfalls and the speed bumps and um, all of the things that were getting in my way of realizing myself as a dancer, no matter what. Mm. That sounds like probably so many people's journeys who are listening. Uh, I love that you're able to get it to published book form. And especially when I think growing up in the dance world, right, we're not really aware of all the different ways we can express ourselves. And I love that you found the route of publishing a book. How long did it take you to get this book from idea, concept to print? From writing my first words in the margins of my appointment book planner, which is how I started, it's been about 15 years. The publishing journey itself is about 10 years. Um, I always say the story that I got an agent, a literary agent for the book when my daughter was three weeks old and she's almost 10. 
So that's how long it took. Just the publication of the book was already written. Uh, so it's been a long journey. It's very, very different from creating a dance and very different from performance. Would you say that there are any skills from your dancing that helped you prepare for the journey of your book as far as the publication of it? I think that, you know, the discipline that we have as dancers where we get to that bar every morning and we plie and we tendu and we dégage and we rond and the whole thing uh, definitely prepares to for the endurance, for your endurance of this journey. Um, and I think as a dancer, being open and receptive to criticism, I'll phrase it that way, um, <laughs> was, was helpful. You know, you're, you're a dancer, you're used to getting criticized, you're used to rejection. Um, so none of that was new to me as a writer. I want to hear more about your journey since clearly you felt compelled to share with others. So let's start there. What, what are you hoping for others to gain from reading your story? I want others to know that they're not alone. I think that especially when it comes to dance memoirs, most of the dance memoirs that are out there are written by highly successful and acclaimed ballerinas and ballet dancers and choreographers. There's very little amount of books for modern dancers, which is where I come from, the modern dance world. Um, again, that aren't the Martha Grahams and the Isadora Duncans and the Paul Taylors. Um, so our voice as dancers that did not and I'm making quotation marks with my hands, make it in the way that we thought that we were going to, or we may have wanted to, or that the world perceives that we may have, um, that we have a voice and we matter and our journey counts. Mm, that's so great. That just had me thinking how to equate that to something we were more used to experiencing. I would say is like the movie industry, right? There's the A-list stars and the B-list stars and the C-list stars and yada, yada, yada. So I was just thinking, yeah, we really only pretty much in any field of expertise, right? There's the stars, there's the A-list level, but you're right. What about all the rest of us who have pursued experience, still had success, maybe not as viewed as an A-list level? What are our experiences? What are other options? So I absolutely love that you've chosen to be, become a voice for the rest of us. That's so good. And Thank I had you. I think that's a great, sorry to interrupt you. That's just a great analogy that you have um and and what does it mean to be a-list mm -hmm. and what does it mean when we're a-list for a minute for a hot second and then we're not a-list anymore right. um or, or it takes us 20 years to become a-list so i think that's and or we are a-list but we feel d-list you know yeah. that's that's a lot that's so uh insightful yeah and the perception of a-list right everyone's perception of the the value of that and when we tunnel vision and pigeonhole ourselves that there's only one way to be A-list, then we're really narrowing our chances of becoming A-list. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm really learning and what I work with with my own clients is widening our vision of who we are and who we can be, which will increase our chances of success. Yes, that's so good. And I'm just thinking right now, when I started to get a better understanding of what a day to day life was going to look like at that top level of being a professional ballet dancer, it was not appealing, right? Like, I love the idea of getting to that level of ability, right? And the performances and all of that. But when I recognized 
what it took to do that. That was my biggest hang up. And now I recognize a part of it was my ADHD. I didn't have the mental capacity to stay focused for eight hours a day in a studio. Like honestly, my brain held me back was part of it, but also I didn't feel it was worth it anymore. I figured that I love dance in general, why that one particular route and real to figure out that I was going to be successful in other ways and getting to explore that. But helping others know that so much sooner in their journey, I think you and I are both desiring to help the dance world know that's possible much sooner versus going down a path so long without realizing there's other options and that are much happier and fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, it's that, you know, that Einstein, is it the Einstein quote where if you keep banging your head, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, you know, that's the definite and, and it's not successful. That's the definition of insanity. You know, mm -hmm. that's the, that's, and that's what we're trained to do as dancers, especially back in, in my day, I think I'm a little older than you. Um, not by you know, much. That's, <laughs> um, that, that, that was the training that you just bang away, bang away, bang away at yourself in order to succeed this goal. And that there's only one way to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was the tail end of that training, but also very true that there was no dialogue that even going through the route of higher education, you could still be a successful dancer. I still was getting the verbiage that the next step is to go be a performer. Like the only way to be successful, even if you go through college for additional training is still to perform. And it wasn't until actually after graduate school, <laughs> after my master's program, is when I finally started realizing there was so much more than being a teacher, being a dancer. Then I finally started to expand my understanding of all the roles, or right, or you know, all those leadership positions in companies, right, or being an artistic director, all of those things. My definition of a dance business is anyone who serves the dance world, whether that be therapists, copywriters, web designers. So with that understanding and my reframing that definition, it has completely shifted and opened how big the dance world really is. And it's not just who we see moving their bodies on stage or the someone in the studio behind them. Let's take it back. Let's talk a bit more about your journey because clearly it was more of a struggle than ease. Where do you want to start? You know, I started dancing because you know, every little girl where I lived started dancing when they were three years old, you were thrown into a ballet class, whether you wanted to be in there or not. Um, fortunately, I wanted to be there. I loved it. Um, but it was very obvious from my very early days that I, my body was not built for it. All the little girls have their legs sitting on the floor with their legs out in front of them, reaching for their toes. And I could barely get my hands to my knees and I felt pain behind my legs. And I learned very early on to hide that pain, to mask that pain, and to just keep going because I, I didn't know what else to do. I wanted to be in the room. I wanted to stay in that room. I love moving to music. Um, so as I grew up and I ended up in a very serious ballet school, the teachers were very clear with me that I would never make it as a ballet dancer, were very critical of me, and did encourage me, though, to discover, <clears throat> excuse me, to discover modern dance. Mm. And through modern dance, I made my first, uh, I choreographed my first dance piece when I was 11 years old, Homeless. And that's the piece that really changed my whole, that, that moment and that piece changed the trajectory of who I wanted to be as a dancer. Um, my teacher was extremely supportive of me as a choreographer and even allowed me to have this piece performed in our Nutcracker annual performance. So all the little girls are doing Nutcracker variations. And then I busted out with my modern dance to Paul Simon and all black with my hair down and bare feet. And, and then I started getting attention in my dance school for being a choreographer. And I was encouraged to make dances on other students. 
And, uh, but I still had this dream of being a dancer. Um, I wanted to be a modern dancer. And then I had ideas about what that meant to be a modern dancer. And even as a modern dancer, my body was still not made for it. I have very short Achilles tendons. I have no plie. I have very, um, a very inflexible instrument that was given to me from birth. Um, but I had the fire in me to do it. And I was a very, very, very hard worker and a good listener and a good little soldier. Um, so I eventually uh, went to NYU to Tisch, um, where I got in after wanting to go to Juilliard first. But if you want to hear the Juilliard audition story, that's for the book. But that's definitely mm -hmm. a story of a dream not ending up how I wanted it to. Um, so I went to Tisch, where I still had dreams of being a dancer, but was choreographing. And I started my dance company, Independent Dance Maker, at 21 years old after graduating and had my first A-list moment where I produced my first show uh, with the support of my family. And I had a New York Times review of my show, a positive New York Times review of my show at 21. So I thought that I was that, you know, that was it. Here I am. I have arrived and I'm exactly where I need to be. And because of my body, I was still enduring a lot of pain and had to go through um, numerous surgeries on my hips and um, other parts of my body. And I kept getting stopped from where I wanted to go and doors kept closing. And eventually the doors closed enough so that I had to figure out what I was going to do next, which I thought was to drop dance completely. Mm. And then I learned that I did not need to do that and that I will always be a dancer no matter what. Oh, well, we're definitely gonna pick up there in a second, but I want to dive more into what you just shared. So thank you, first of all, for sharing all of that and really being open with your story. Okay, I want to first say 11 years old, your first choreography opportunity. That's phenomenal. My first choreography opportunity didn't happen until college, but I always knew without even fully understanding what it meant. I kept saying even in high school and I was training pre-professionally, like, I want to be a choreographer one day. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't fully understand, <laughs> but it was in me somewhere. Like, it was like, it's going to come out. And it wasn't until college. And I'm so grateful that was the time. It was the right time. But I love that you had such an awesome experience where you had somebody support you at 11 years old for what you accomplished at 21. Like, that's so phenomenal. Just, I'm just here celebrating in awe of you <laughs> is what's happening first. <laughs> Thank you. I Well, and I think, you know, as nurturing as my teachers, my teacher, I will say it was one in particular of my choreography, it was still with the old school mentality. Right. So I don't want to sugarcoat, you know, right. that, but she gave me private lessons where we worked on my choreography mm. and she taught me. And I say, it's like Louis Horst, Martha Graham had Louis Horst. I had, I call her Miss Lorraine in my book. And it wasn't just, you know, cuddles and support it was it was hard it was harsh and it was very critical um but again going back to your first question you know what prepared you for this 10-year journey with this book that's what prepared me mm. you know and but i do think it is incredibly important especially for women that we are supported from a young age to make movement because yeah. too often as we know it's men that are encouraged to be dance makers because they start dancing typically a little bit later and are encouraged to create their own movement style because they can't conform to what technically the girls really have been doing for years. So they're encouraged to create their own movement style and then encouraged from that point, you know, they become the choreographers, the company uh, owners, et cetera. So I, I, um, well, I was teaching, I started a dance program at an all girls uh, school, all girls Catholic school actually. 
And it was so important to me that these girls learned how to make dances. Mm. Um, and I do think it's really important for teachers that are, I'm sure there's many teachers that listen to your podcast that they do encourage um, not just the girls that maybe don't fit into the mold, but, you know, in general, that creating movement is part of our training process. Yeah. I'm full transparency as an educator. I was still in my more teacher phase, right? I didn't understand the education por portion of it. I was just more of a teacher. I didn't understand the value of letting the dancers create. And even though it's something I craved, it took multiple years for me to break out of that mold of what a dance teacher looked like, according to my upbringing. But I do remember when I finally gave over to the concept of letting my dancers starting to create their own works as like a final project or something and seeing the power of them having a voice and then shifting into how can I offer more of this and then finding that that sweet spot of giving you know teaching a class but then also giving space to let them also be individuals within that information and I see that this is a big shift that the dance world is making we're not there yet. It's going to be a while, but more and more people are understanding there needs to be so much more than be a dictator in the studio and that we're more of a guider and a nurturer. And what does that look like? I think that, you know, it's become more popular in dance classes that like at the end of doing a phrase, okay, now five, six, seven, eight, take a little time for yourself or, you know, doing that, which I think is awesome to be able to, you know, begin to create your own style of movement based on someone else's movement. I also think that the skills that you learn as a choreographer put using dancers, you know, I was explaining to the girls I was just teaching the other day about how, you know, if you're in a lab and you're, you know, a scientist getting a cure for something, you don't just do it alone in this little space and then like bring home your little homework. No, it's a collaborative bunch of other scientists there. You're collaborating, you're sharing information, you're observing, you're creating, collecting data you know, all of these things. So you're working together all the time. You're not in a void by yourself. Usually, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I'm imagining <laughs> that's how it goes down. Um, and that those skills that, and those skills, of course, will translate from the dance studio to wherever your students, you know, end up. But if you are in a situation that you're in a class with a, quote, you know, a dictator type <laughs> teacher who's just spitting it out, how can you find your own voice as a mover in that? zone yeah so go ahead and answer your question <laughs> like, keep I mean, going. you're on to something you know here's the thing like for me I always had to choreograph because my body couldn't accomplish the the steps the technique so I always was constantly trying mm. to distract from my arms with my legs try to you know that's I was always trying to you know I, jump higher so the landing takes less time <laughs> they don't notice that your heels aren't down you know I was constantly or pretend with someone else I would always take class pretending that I was someone else um mm. so you know it took me out of my body a lot uh but I think we know so much more now as educators that people learn differently we're just more open to that in a way that just didn't exist you know 20 years ago when I was you know doing the intense amount of training that I was doing mm. Yeah, what I'm hearing at the base of this is the creative problem solvers we all are, right? Mm. That I think that's the dialogue, that's the verbiage I use with my community is we are creatives first and dance is a chosen form of expression we've gone the route of. We're not dancers first, we're creatives at our core. Mm. And 
if we were to introduce that concept into the studios at younger ages and we're saying, hey, you're creative and you're going to creatively problem solve me, giving you this information on how to properly, technically, correctly do this tendu, but then how do you creatively take that information to your internal body and apply it in a way that still gives us an end result, but it makes sense to you. That would be life changing. That's game changing in that I'm just creatively problem solving what I have to get to the end result. How much more powerful do you think that would have been in your journey if that had been your thought process? You know, and I'm I'm hearing what you're saying and it's like, you know, okay, so what's the end result, right? Mm-hmm. And I know what the end result. Now I get it. That and this was the process of writing my book that I understood it. it I was and I think we all as dancers, um as movers are create we're chasing this magic. We're mm-hmm. chasing that magical feeling. And we may, some dancers only get that magical feeling in class. Some dancers only get it on stage. Some mm-hmm. get it while they're teaching, you know, and, and, and how to find that magic. And for me, I lost the magic because it was just pain. It was physical pain that was getting in the way of the magic. And I think that's what we're all after and figuring out what that magic is for us. And that magic will change. Mm, that's so good. It is a joy and an honor to share with you that I am bringing a new resource available to you monthly titled the Dance CEO Masterclass Series. What does this have to do with you? And I'll tell you that it is a fantastic way to continue to do personal and professional development, especially if you've not been finding time or making the time for it. Now you can put on your calendars that every second Thursday of the month, you know that you're going to get an hour of professional development in, and it's going to be in topics that support you and getting your business off the ground, filling in gaps, supporting you personally, mentally, and the beginning of every quarter, that month, we will always do a quarterly review Thriving You Masterclass where I take you through the process of reviewing the last three months of your journey personally and professionally, and then get clear on what you want the next three months to look like, what to bring forward into the next three months, what not to bring forward into the next three months, and then come up with a plan of action so that you can exit ready to take on your quarter and having it be the most successful it's been for you so far. You can go to my website, thedanceceocoach.com masterclass. And I'm thinking now is if we're still in the in the studio portion of this, uh, the teacher says, hey, you know, here's how to do this tendu in ballet class. And then, you know, you're given that onus of the creative problem solving to get there right internally. But then also the teacher has to release what their expectation is of that, too. Right. Because we have this given this perf- this perfect idea of what a tendu is. But then someone has a limitation physically on their body, right? They can't quite get that foot shape or they're lacking the articulation in the what on you know, the foot or whatever to then be open to that as well, to be open to the creative outcome <laughs> if we're taking it. And then, like I said, like you just shared, you know, the magic that we're all chasing. Some people absolutely love the feeling of tondu and some struggle, right? And they're like, I want to get to the magic in class later. I feel absolutely free waltzing across the floor or that improv section or right so i love that you just shared that that's a really good point of view i hadn't thought about before thank you thank you i i think it is and it's knowing as we get older right like okay i i, I don't love tondus this doesn't feel good this doesn't look good this is you know <laughs> not happening but i know i need that tondu to get to you know pirouettes later on that i love mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and so that we can we can connect those things and you know it's funny 
I'm thinking like the classes that I like to take are the most repetitive (laughs) 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 structured, you know, I don't teach the classes that I take, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is, I never thought of that until right now. Um, but it's, it's, does the creativity, like, does my creativity come from this like structure? And when I say structure, I mean like ballet bar, because that's what I would, I would always, I was always going to ballet class. Mm, Yeah. I, I still feel that ballet is home, the repetition, the expectation, you know, exactly what things you're meant to be focused and working on. To me, I'm like, that's like my safe space. And so the classes I give are not that anymore either. Even if I teach ballet, it's still a lot more creatively free and not so rigid. (laughs) So I hear what you're saying is my classes I teach are not the ones I I take naturally, which is so interesting, right? Because that was our upbringing and what we were instilled in from a young age versus what are we trying to pass on to our students now? Instead of now, we're like, what? I know. <laughs> we'll actually, you know, question now. I would never mm-hmm. question. I didn't ask to go to the bathroom. Like, you know, yeah. it just wasn't a part of the culture. Well, so I'll be honest and say that I definitely had a season where I always had to go to the bathroom right at center floor when it started. It just- so I got out of having to do certain <laughs> combinations almost every two hour ballet class. My teacher was on to me. I will say that much. <laughs> well, you know, I think, um, I think it's younger that I wrote it in my book. I think it, I, I, I think it actually was after doing a stretch and I couldn't do it. And I ran downstairs to the bathroom, mm-hmm. um, you know, taking off the layers of the, and of the leotard and the tights and the, and mm-hmm. sitting on the cold toilet and I didn't have to go. I just had to get the hell out of that. Studio. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand. You know, yeah, that's true. It's so interesting. So I'm now reflecting on where I'm at in my educational journey now that we've gone this route. And currently the only thing I teach, well, actually this year I've taken a hiatus, but I'm joining back again next year is teaching at college level. And I specifically now only teach dance appreciation. My dance appreciation courses are a mix of lecture and movement where they get to learn a topic that week and then go in the studio and learn the movement of that topic, whether you know it's the dance history of where jazz dance came from, or we're learning ballet, or we're learning breaks, whatever the thing is. And what I absolutely love more than anything is letting them get to know themselves as movers and creatives in their own bodies for life. It's not like I need you to remember this fact about where ballet came from. It's I want them to leave being more connected to their individual self and recognizing their bodies as a tool and a gift. And that's such a 180 from where I was when I was directing a high school dance program in a in a private high school, when that was so different than I was back was at the beginning of being a teacher versus an educator. <sighs> Lots of reflection today. I feel like I'm in therapy with you, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you for this awareness I'm, you're bringing oh, to me. <laughs> I'll send you my bill. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it a wash. Like, we'll just say... <laughs> That's no, funny. I think, I think I, I, you know, you're giving me a lot to think about. Um, and I think that the magic, the joy, and to, for you to see that teaching dance appreciation, as opposed to teaching what I'm imagining is a more structured, like high school mm-hmm. dance program, you know, for you to really see people like you get to see people that never would have moved like this before. And you're mm-hmm. giving them the knowledge and you get to see their bodies do it. That's so satisfying. Like that to me is magic. And all that to music. All that to music. I like want to go teach a class right now. I know. I was like, woo, let's move. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening to this, 
Yes, if you're feeling it, pause the podcast, go <laughs> yeah. do your thing, come back. Ooh, we'll be here. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, I actually want to pivot a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so I want to dive into improvisation and how I was just thinking that there's a reason why they teach a separate improvisational course versus choreography, right? And there's a reason why they're separate and they're not the same. And I think people get that missing. I just want to go into this dialogue because I don't get to talk about this. And I'm like, you and I are nerding out yeah. a little bit. Improvisation yeah. is when your body subconsciously gets to take over. You let your body lead versus you choosing what the next movement is going to happen. That's true improv. Then you shared, which is why I was thinking about this, right? Or you can explore how your body moves with someone else's style imposed upon you. So if you're in a jazz class and you just spent two months training with this teacher and you're given this freedom, you're gonna be influenced by the style your body's been training in to explore the song choice sets on and whatnot. But to me, when I finally truly discovered improv, it was so liberating after so many years of striving to be this perfect ballet dancer and to finally understand how to release and let my body take over and what that truly means and that for me is when i had catharsis when i had the release of pent-up emotions the processing of things even externally not related to the dance world but then the translation into choreography is they can be completely separate or you can use your improvisational process to influence the choreography, right? You can create from that subconscious or you can actively choose things and that there's a difference between the two. And I just like for those who, cause I do have some non-dance listeners. So today's definitely have dance heavy, which is totally fine. Welcome to our dance world. So I would say for those who truly aren't dance conscious at all and they just wanna move their bodies and they call this interpretive dance, you're like the perfect epitome of improv when you just let your body do its thing and there's no conscious does my leg look good am i looking good does this go to the music i don't know where i'm going with this i just wanted to share those thoughts i had do you have any thoughts on this yeah i do i have a lot of thoughts on it first my <laughs> first thought was of course i do um when going back to my early teacher who i i call miss lorraine in my book when she was encouraging me to choreograph she told me to improvise and have my parents video have their video camera and this is you know back in the 80s so there was a big humongous possibly rented camcorder um, that we would set up with a tripod and I would just go mm -hmm. and and then I would watch it and then she didn't I sort of naturally started to craft because I would use the word craft for choreography as opposed to maybe improv I might need to rethink that but for now um, so the craft of taking that improvisation and then seeing what I liked what worked and then using that as a choreographer mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I started working with a private dance student the last two weeks, and this child has zero dance training and just really loves to move. And the parent asked me, you know, would you, would you dance? Would you dance with him? Okay, sure. You know, I'll dance with him. And I can't go in there, right. And give this kid like a codified dance class. So I just start with like, okay, like show me what you do <laughs> when you dance. And this child proceeded to improvise like a boss, you know, with no filter, no judgment, and just go. And now we're starting to craft a little bit. Um, but that that free flow is so important, as you're saying, emotionally, and then um, obviously artistically and as you know, crafting. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. I want to really quick to find the word codified, because 
Mm. I told me I didn't know what that was even until higher education in the dance world. So codified for listeners is when something has been created, a technique, when we'll say dance technique, a technique of any kind, time, any kind that can be taught and passed down and repeated. So like ballet is a perfect example. There's different ballet techniques. If you didn't know this, there's not just like, oh, everybody does ballet. There's actually Balanchine and Chiquetti and Viganova and the French method in the Royal Academy of Dance. So there's so many and they all they all have a general approach to dance, but they all have a specific way that they do them. And then a teacher teaches student, student becomes teacher, teaches student and passes is codified. It can be packaged and retaught and passed down. So when Kara was saying that, I just want to give better understanding because I didn't know what the word codified was for a long time. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. That That's a great that's a that's a perfect definition that you gave um and that and i think you were talking about that kind of teaching before mm-hmm. and that would be more of like a the i hate to say dictatorship but that's right. kind of what it yeah. what it can what it can be which i think part of the reason why ballet is, has been as successful as it has right because it ballet in or in, in its technical purest form has to be codified to keep that but I think now we're adding the human aspect, right? Of what does it mean to be the human learning this codified technique? And I, I'm thinking back to when Pilates first came on the scene, more awareness on dancers' muscular strength became like a big thing, which has only been beneficial. And I feel that we're now finally shifting into a season and hopefully it's not temporary of now the emotional artistic side of the dancer is now asking to be influenced versus the technique and the strength, which has been really what it is. And now we're starting to finally add the healthier, more fulfilling, holistic layers. That was a long journey to get to that last sentence. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're dead on. I think that when you have a codified Mm. technique, the cool thing about it is that, you know, you could go anywhere in the world and take a ballet class and it's Mm -hmm. exactly the same. And it's Mm -hmm. so comforting. It's even the same language, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's going to be French. Just different accents. So sometimes it's still different hard to accents, understand. It's, you know, right? it's, it's a different language doing a French word in their accent, exactly, right? Exactly. That's what's fun. But... Different language bastardizing the French pronunciation as we do. Um, <laughs> when we do in America. Right. Um, which is a comfort where I think that's a comfort. Whereas in other techniques, I don't know if there's another technique that I can think of right now that's codified in that sense where you could go anywhere and it's exactly the same. That's interesting because, you know, we think we there's a term used concert dance and it's the thing like and typically that it's the trifecta of ballet, modern or jazz. But even then I was thinking like they all were really super codified, but really actually it's just ballet. That's really, truly like fully codified to where, like you said, you can go anywhere and still know what to expect. That's really interesting. Another thing to think on. <laughs> it is, you know, and that's what that's what really bonds us a lot as dancers mm. that, you know, that come from that background that you know it, it gives us such a common language from the get-go and that we can go anywhere with that you could come to new york city we could go take class together and it's a ballet class and you know what to expect and i can go out to new orleans um and take a ballet class there with you and know what to expect and you know there is yeah. a comfort in that for the longest time the verbiage is you know ballet is the foundation of everything technical but which isn't true <laughs> it's become a blanket thing but it's interesting that that maybe becomes, you know, it's been the blanket for that, the unified language, no matter what style, because when you learn the basic technical aspects of ballet, the plies, the tanjus, things that do translate into others, you can go to other styles. And when they start with those things, it does start you on a unified journey before. Okay, so since we, I think we should shift back. 
that was a really good like we just wanted just like a left turn there was like seven left turns on that journey we just went on <laughs> i want to dive some more back into your book because it is such a gift to the dance community so you mentioned celebrating the one year that you've gone out and you've done some speaking and helping and all that what other ways are you helping get the dance book into dancers hands what communities are you seeing benefit are you just sharing links are you talking with people are you going into communities and sharing tell me more about how you are trying to spread the message of your book well that's really my my goal for myself is to get this book into as many dancers hands as possible so mm -hmm. i always go back to that goal so anything that i do is to get this book into dancers hands whether that means doing giveaways which i've been doing um, in new york and standing and talking to dancers and doing an elevator pitch about my book over and over and over again. And each time someone new comes into the studio um, and also visiting dance departments, which is where I, mm. my magic really is right now. Like my magic is visiting um, college dance departments or festivals and talking with a group of dancers about who we are as dancers and how not to tunnel vision ourselves, how not to pigeonhole ourselves how to widen our vision and really own that we are dancers no matter what. And no one can take that away. Even if you're not dancing, even if you don't dance for 30 years and you become a lawyer and you sit at a, go to court and sit at a desk and you're still a dancer. And mm. that really, so, um, so how do I get my book out there? I try to promote my book on Instagram. I try to go on Instagram, talking about my book, connecting with people on Instagram, um, connecting with people on social media, um, connecting with other writers, uh, other dance writers in particular. I, the really fun part um, about the process taking so long to get my book published is that during all that time, of course, I'm still reading and I'm a devout reader of all, you know, of dance memoirs. And so I was able to reach out after I read each dance memoir, I reached out to the writer and introduced myself and developed a relation with them. They ended up blurbing the book and, and I, you know, we are, I consider them friends and colleagues. And uh, that's a beautiful way to reach other readers and also reach other like-minded um, dancers who write. Mm, I love that. So I just heard you use the word. Networking is nurturing relationships without any expectation of return. And it will show up and support you in some ways. Like you just said, they all blurbed your book and you just had the desire to connect with the authors because you were given insight into their life from their memoir and you wanted to connect with them as humans. Any other thoughts about networking and relationships for you in this? Yeah, I think, you know, networking, whether or not it may lead to something for you mm -hmm. or not, I think the act of reaching out gives you so, it like makes you, for me, anyway, I speak for myself, it makes me feel less alone. Mm -hmm. So if I'm network, if I'm putting myself out there and, and, you know, trying to meet someone and, and connect with them, it makes me feel good. I feel mm -hmm. it's, so it's giving me that, um, you know, I, for my book, after the age of 18, I use everyone's name. I use Corey. I, and I use, there's some pretty big names in the dance world in there. And I had to reach out to every single last one of them and ask if it was, you know, okay to use their name. And so I'm talking about like reaching out to Robert Battle who's mm -hmm. the artistic director of Alvin Ailey. And in my book, I'm telling a story about st sharing a bathroom with him and how gross it was for being on tour. And, you know, I'm, it's not necessarily flattering. Um, and the act of, and I was terrified to do a, a lot of these, even though they were friends, just to ask in that way. Um, but in putting your, in putting myself out there in that situation, I then got 
people to support my book, mm-hmm. people that were stood behind me and next to me uh, when the book came out. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we're scared. And when they are friends or they are, you know, the same age as us or at the same place in their careers as us, it still can feel icky. Well, I think it's because we're approaching them as the human and not like the profession of which maybe we connected with them, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, 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 you were sharing, and what I love about your book is you share the human experiences, like, which is what we need to hear as dancers is we, we just, we see that beyond stage being rehearsal, but we don't discuss enough the human element, the relationships, the experiences you have. And like you just said, it expands your community and all these people gave permission for you to put their name in the book because you approach them as humans first is how I see that. And that's so beautiful. And that's what I'm trying to do is we're humans first and dancers second. We're individuals first. And if we honor the human in us first, it'll only take our dancing experiences so much further because of that. So I love that you just shared that. Thank you. So if those who are listening haven't thought about it yet, even if just on that point, read her damn book. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not to say that because she's on here. Like I have honor because I love talking with Kara and also her book is necessary to help pull back the curtain on the human side of being in the dance world and how to do it in a way that's fulfilling for you individually. Thank you. I wanted to say that for a while. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That really means a lot. And I think saying we're humans first to have another dancer creative, as you say, Mm -hmm. first say that in what can be a very dehumanizing Mm -hmm. um, world is just, it's pretty phenomenal. Thanks. I mean, as you did, and I've had to go through my own journey to get to that point and shift the identifier of dancer out of the center of me and put it, you know, in my orb around me, but letting me become Audra as a human first, like replacing mm. that. That was, that's been a lot of work. <sighs> Carrot, I know we can just keep talking. It's already been about an hour. <laughs> we can just keep going. <laughs> we'll just have to do this again and bring you on for another season. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can hear even further what impact you've had with your book when I bring you back again. Um, and the fact that you've increased how many dancers you've gotten your book in hand, into their hands. I'll be so good to hear that update. <laughs> she just crossed her fingers. <laughs> Take us up for those cross our toes. We're dancers. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest here today. It's been an honor to sit across from you virtually and talk. And how can our followers and listeners, how, sorry, how can our listeners get in touch with you, follow you, re- get their hands on your book? Tell us all the things. Um, before I talk about my book, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. One of the networking, sorry to go back to that for a second. I just you're think good. it's really important. When I wrote my book, I was in my own world. And when I had to start promoting the book and it came out, all of a sudden I'm realizing, oh my gosh, the dance wellness world has exploded. The dance world has exploded. There's so many people doing such incredible things. So you've really opened my eyes to what's going on in the dance world and what you're what you're doing for the dance world is just, it's just did not exist before. At least I didn't know about it. So I just am I'm really grateful. And for the listeners, for the work that you may be doing in the dance world, just to keep moving forward with that and to have the support of Audra and other like-minded people is just, it's phenomenal. So thank you so much um, for talking to me and having me on and introducing me to this whole new world out there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you receiving that. And it's been an honor to share it with you. I'm excited for what happens. And I'm excited to see even in like two years where we are with that explosion going on. It's so powerful. Okay, back to you. Okay, back to my book. Putting My Heels Down, A Memoir of Having a Dream and a Day Job is available where all books are sold. 
Um, I actually do have, and I can show Audra because she can see, I have a few of these limited edition books mm. that the publisher had put out for the first birthday. I do have some still available. These limited first edition of uh, first birthday edition are not available at stores, but I do have a few more copies from the publisher. So if you're interested in buying this one, you can um, email me info at karatattlebaum.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram. Yeah, um, so I'll, and I'll have all these links and stuff in the show notes too for those who are like scrambling right now to write down that information. Oh, great. Thank you. And I do have, there are signed copies available at various booksellers that um, can mail them to you. So if you check out my Instagram, uh, you'll be able to, to feel that out or you can DM me. I'll, I'll lead you the right way. Awesome. And what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is at Kara Tattlebaum. My can name. You, yeah. Can you spell your last can, name really quick? I can spell it. <laughs> T-A-T-E-L-B-A-U-M. Kara, K-A-R-A. So Kara Tattlebaum is my Instagram handle. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure to have you. And to wrap up today, please share with us the final question I ask all my guests. What does it mean to you to be the CEO of your life and business? I'm going to say it in a rhyme. I love that. That's that new. I haven't had that one. To me. Please do. It just came to me. Being the CEO means I run the show. <laughs> that's so good. I've that's, never had. Uh, that's your, that's my, that's my really skilled writing right there. <laughs> very succinct to the point. For very good. Uh, very cheesy rhyme. Um, but I think being the CEO of your own life is really about um, choreographing your dreams. It's you're, you're in role and, um, and it's, and there's no limits on that. So good. Thank you so much, Kara. Again, it's been an honor. Thank you listeners for being here on this journey with us today. And please go in the show notes to all the things we discussed. There'll be links to the other things we discussed today not just how to reach Kara, but definitely check out our book. It is worth the journey and to start diving into what it means to be successful in the dance world other than A-listers. Thank you again, Kara. Appreciate it. Thank you, Audra, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Dance CEO Podcast, where aspiring or established dance business owners and entrepreneurs learn to become the CEO of your life and business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and rating. To stay up to date and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me, your host, on Instagram at the Dance CEO Coach. Until next time.